Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. If someone were afraid of the dentist, maybe they haven't been in a long time, maybe they're embarrassed because they haven't been in a while, I feel like this would be a really safe place for them to go and get the care that they need. At Advanced Dentistry, we get it. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, if you want to learn how IV sedation can change your life, visit NoFearDentist.com. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hello and welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Ta-da. I was trying to do trailer voice for that. It's a good voice. That's as good as it gets. Oh, that was pretty good. I Man, it would suck <laughs> me right in. I have to listen to this. They're saying it's important. Mike Sweeney. Yeah, and Jesse Gaskell. Jesse IE, in case you're spelling at home. That's right. We were writers on The Conan Show, and ostensibly, we I think- were this, once, so long ago. This podcast is supposed to be about behind the scenes of Conan, and we're kind of looking at his, his career arc- on television, starting in the late night uh, world in 93. Yeah. Through to uh, kind of the present. He continues to have a career. It's true. Despite our best efforts. But you know, enough about him. <laughs> Speaking of the present, you are still working on a movie. I'm somewhere else. Yes. And you're at a new location. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> talked to you in a while. I'm in witness while. protection. They keep moving me around. It does seem that way. Yeah. I just have to give you a great amount of kudos. I always hated that word kudos, but <laughs> when they're warranted, the word must be used. You deserve kudos. Cause can I say it's really late where you are right yeah. now? You're far. That's how far you're far away. It is. It's so late that it's tomorrow. Oh my that's God. How late it is. Okay. <laughs> you're in one time zone or you're in one day and I'm in a different day. Oh, wow. I'm talking to the future. And we're somehow recording this podcast on different days. That's a mind bender. Time is a flat circle. And uh, you finished what I'm guessing is a grueling day. What time did you start? What do you, time do you start your day? This morning, I started at, or I was picked up at 9.30. Oh. And then... I thought it was like 6 a.m. Yeah, you know. Well, you know, it was still it was still a 14-hour uh, day. No, that's a, a horribly long day. Last night, for I, I, it was the same yesterday, and for dinner, I had chips and wine. Wow. And then I went to bed. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and it wasn't one of the worst dinners I've had. Well, yes, and we should say you're doing punch-up on a movie. I'm doing punch-up on a movie. Right. And I'm on set, and a lot of the time, I'm just watching a screen and then kind of talking to the actors in between takes mm-hmm. and being like, that was great. Hard to beat that. You guys nailed it. Yeah. 
Thank God, because I don't have any new lines for this scene. Because <laughs> I got nothing. But then occasionally there'll be like an emergency and then we have to come up with stuff. But I mean, honestly, I've been, I've, I also send jokes the night before. Oh, that's, that's smart. Yeah. So, and I've been getting a fair number in at least what's being shot. That's fantastic. That's great. But then they have to edit the movie and who knows what'll end right. up. Right. You never know. You never know what combo of things works. Yeah. But I bet you're going to have a super high percentage. I mean, they they wouldn't shoot him if they didn't like the lines. Like Oh yeah. No, I mean Time is money. I'm I'm mostly just thinking, well, it's going to end up being too long and then right. a lot of stuff will get cut out. Like have you added lines that actually have changed trajectories of scenes? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Or are they No. Okay. Generally, I'm not even I think encouraged to pitch anything that's gonna like right. if it's a light if it's a small prop or something that's fine, R- okay. but if it's gonna have ramifications like a, no butterfly effect stuff where if I right, pitch this right. thing here in Act One then Act Three it better pay off. Okay, the Chekhov's gun. Yes. No, I've been trying to mostly just pitch kind of um, really like superfluous. Lies. <laughs> no, but but kind of lines in the moment that keep the ball up in the air. Yeah, throwaways that are like, hey, we weren't planning on a laugh here, but now we've got one. Fantastic. Ideally, yeah. Call it punch up. Yeah, exactly. I'm not punching down. When you're pitching lines on the set, the worst is... I remember people who would be on Conan, like in sketches sometimes, like celebrity cameo people would pitch ideas. Oh, yeah. Lines like you wouldn't want to do it. James Lipton always did it. Oh, did he? Yeah. and we That's ha- funny because he seems so serious. Yes. And he'd be like, what, what? I think it would be funny if I did da da da. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, we could do that. And he'd be like, oh, you're never going to use my ideas. Oh, like he knew he could tell just by that candy ass like yeah that sounds great let's i mean he's been around a lot of actors yes he knows when he they're knows lying he, yeah exactly right <laughs> to his face well that sounds great that you can send lines in the night before yeah i mean it's stressful the night before obviously but well yeah especially when i get done at this time and i'm like oh man but also for them to read them. Yes. It's not like this high pressure of like, we're waiting to shoot the, like they can actually process it, chew it over and go, oh yeah, this is, yeah. So that sounds much, a much healthier way to do it. I agree. I know. I like that. Good. I mean, that's, that's better for the way I work too. Cause yeah. And I'll suggest things on the floor when I haven't been asked, if I just come up with something that I see in the scene. Right. But when I'm asked for something, it's like suddenly, <gasps> yes. you know, and everyone turns to you and then just like every word I've ever known completely goes out of my brain. I can't even imagine. Like I would just, I would panic. I would just, yeah. I always have this other voice in my head that comes and goes, Oh, you're blowing it. You're blowing yeah, it. Exactly. I this knew you'd blow it. it. This is when everyone realizes you're a fraud. <laughs> That's right. You knew it when you were 10, this was going to happen and it's happening. And somehow you made it this far, but that was a mistake. <laughs> That's right. That was luck. There can't be anyone who enjoys that. Situ- I, I'm just like you. I like, I like to go away ideally and try to have time alone to try to yeah. chew something over, you know, and, and Just sit in a dark cave. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Everyone looking at you. Ugh. I know. <laughs> what a <laughs> nightmare. But luckily and, it's so traumatic that I think my brain blocks it out a little bit afterwards. Right. Right. It's like, well, I'm not even sure that happened. 
Plus, you know, you have the reward of, you know, wine and chips yes. coming up for dinner. Just waiting for that has to get you through it back in the room. Well, and I have to say, so I'm, cause I've been doing clues about where I am. Yes. I mean, I think that the, the time difference is a clue. That seems like so a big clue that to seems me. like enough for this week and I'll, I'll save some things, but I will say okay. that I got a Dorito knockoff. Ah. This was the chip I was eating. It was a Dorito knockoff and the flavor yes. was burrito. Okay. It was like clearly meant to evoke the essence of Doritos. Right. But Doritos doesn't have a burrito flavor. Not in the United States. So that's a hint. It is a hint. Yes. Oh, two hints. Mm-hmm. You're eating burrito chips after <laughs> after midnight. Where yep. is Jesse? <laughs> I would be doing that at home, but for the record. Of course, we didn't say what time it is where I am. It could be 11 p.m. That's true. And you're in Detroit. <laughs> uh, well, a clue to where I am. You're going to give a clue. Okay. I've been giving clues. Um, <laughs> the nearest Scientology center to where I am right now has brunch open to the public on Sundays. Oh, wow. Have you ever been to that? I have. My wife and I went. Oh, and man. With a friend of ours who was going to write a book about Scientology. That was his excuse. And uh, no, he really was. Was it Remini? <laughs> <laughs> He's a really great writer. He's written a lot of books. And um, we were checking it out and it was terrifying. I thought we were going to get snatched. <laughs> but they wanted nothing to do with us. I think they want young blood. They do. They want people who can sign a yeah. many thousand year contract. Yeah, exactly. But I tried to wander around the building afterwards, but... They shut me down. I went, Have you ever been to the Museum of Psychiatry? I think that's their museum. Oh, is that a Scientology museum? Because I know they hate psychiatry. So They do, in fact. I mean, I went early on in my Hollywood career. Sure. They make you sign in as a guest, and I put a fake name because I was terrified. Uh, but then you go through this, the museum, yeah. which is just... The history of psychiatry. Right. And then they connect psychiatry somehow to American slavery, mm. World War II, and the Holocaust. Okay. And then also 9-11. Wow. So somehow psychiatrists are involved in all of those. That's quite a through line. Yes. <laughs> Psychiatrists. Psychiatrists. Yeah. <laughs> and then you emerge and then and there's some really awful, these graphic, like it's like you're looking at paintings of like souls being tortured wait were the souls being tortured were they like being tortured by therapists like for yes, 40 by minutes psychiatrists. yes and like the devil's going to our time is up <laughs> i'm sorry we'll have to how could psychiatry the irony is that yes therapists are the ones being tortured by us oh my god i feel so Usually. bad i want to let my therapist go i started <laughs> like i like, uh, like, like a catch and release Oh my God. <laughs> I do want to ask him where I, I rate, like compared to all his other clients. Like, you know, yeah. does he look forward to me? How crazy am I? Yeah. How crazy am I? How boring am I? <laughs> my first therapist I went to, all she liked to talk about was why I was late every week. And oh, and no. I'd be like, well, this is, this, this is... We're never going to proceed here because I'm always going to be late. Can't we just? <laughs> that just seems like small fish to fry too. It's like yeah. people can usually. She'd take calls from her kids during 
She'd be like, I have to take this. And then she'd be like turning around going, I told you, I told you not to go there. I told you to stay home. (laughs) So I'm already late. So (laughs) taking that call is not helping. Well, hey, on that note. Yeah. Let's give our listeners a little bit of therapy. Oh, yeah. For their ears. Yes. With this interview. We've got a great guest. We do. It's the great Ian Roberts. Mm -hmm. Very funny guy. He's hilarious. He is like the rock of Gibraltar. I always think of him as he's just a funny, stoic, steady yes. presence at all times. Yes. He's really funny at being stoic. He just has such a great, I know. he's great at playing a guy who, who wants nothing to do with him. <laughs> he could be my therapist. But yeah, you know, you probably already know Ian Roberts as the co-founder of the legendary Upright Citizens Brigade. He's also appeared in many favorite comedy films and TV shows. But he was also a concept fixture at Late Night. Right. You knew we were getting to the Conan connection somehow. Yes. He performed in many sketches. Yes, starting in the mid-90s along with the uh, other three founding members of the UCB. So Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, they all were in heavy rotation on Late Night. So it was great to catch up with our old friend, Mr. Ian Roberts. That's right. And stick around afterwards for a chat with Matthew Chauncey, writer and the creator of Team Coco's new scripted audio series, Self Center. Here's Ian Roberts. Well, Ian, we wanted to have you on. I mean, we would love to talk to you about a lot of aspects of your career, but um, you are one of the people who kind of has been with the Conan Enterprise through all the iterations of the show. So we're doing a retrospective of, of Conan's late night career and... You know, there aren't that many people that were there kind of in the early years and also maintained a relationship with the show for the entire span of it. Yeah, much more the New York days. I was really involved because I didn't have any job. And yeah. just, <laughs> and we All just, right, uh, I'll appear on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was great. Everyone used to joke about how it was like what you imagined as a kid Hollywood would be. People walking around in silly costumes, you know, right? because you'd have gladiators and Abraham Lincoln and, yeah. you know, someone in Victorian dress or whatever the hell, astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. All in the same hallway at the same time. Yeah. Well, do you remember how, what was the first sketch that you ever did for late night? You know, I think it might've been something to do with baseball, but for sure, at least the second, if this wasn't the first, was running around a track with Nipsey Russell. I did a lot of stuff with Nipsey Russell over those years. (laughs) Nipsey Russell was a pretty, Oh, that's hilarious. Pretty frequent guest. And, um, one of us was in a manatee costume. <laughs> I think all of us, except for Nipsey, were in crazy costumes and, it, and sweating our asses off running around a track. And Nipsey Russell, who wasn't young, I think he was in his 70s, yeah. he was running around the track. Nipsey gave me one of my, I've only heard it from him, but I thought it was a clever adage about Hollywood. He said, let me tell you about Hollywood. Hollywood, they have one typewriter and 1,000 copy machines. So that was his way of saying that (laughs) there were very few innovators and a lot of people just did whatever they thought was what sold. He was predicting Spider-Man reboots. Right. Yeah. Nipsey was great. We we used him a lot in sketches and um, he'd stop into the wardrobe and they'd say, you know, do you want us to dress you? He goes, nope, I have all my own outfits. He goes, I have doubles of all my outfits. There's no pockets in any of them because that way I can deduct them as 
an expense and they can't come after me and say, oh, no, those aren't just for showbiz. <laughs> so if you have pockets, it, you can't write it off. That was <laughs> the thought back then. I like that old Hollywood stuff. I know I've heard this about the old stand-ups. If you talked to them before the show, you would talk to them in their underwear. This wasn't about any kind of write-off thing, but it was that right. these were their show pants. And you wanted to go out looking sharp. So you only put your show pants on the moment before you walked out. So if you would talk to the old school comics before the show, they were probably in their underwear right. with their garters holding up their socks, you know, talking to you. <laughs> right. Wow. That's great. So their pleats wouldn't give out. <laughs> or maybe, maybe maybe they had a different agenda with you. You were yeah. young, strapping <laughs> You're man. the only one who that's saw what, them that way. That's what they told me. And they was wondering why I never, yeah. right, right. Why I never picked up the cue. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, one thing I remember about Nipsey is that he told us about he got his start, be, started making good money because of late night TV way back in the day. And he said it was the Jack Parr show, oh. and, you know, the Tonight Show with and yeah. Jack Parr. And he said that that meant so much back then. And he said nowadays, you know, it's, it's just so many people get on, but it was a big deal. Right. And if you got on and he said, I can't remember all the specifics but he said how his money went up right. each time he went on the show he went on one time and he went from nothing to making i can't remember what it was but it seemed great but you know he's a 50 bucks then i went on a second time 250 then i was making thousands of dollars then i was headlining in vegas and it took four times going on jack parr and he also told me how he started doing um sort of stand-up like his rhyming stuff uh -huh. he was a tap dancer uh -huh. and that was his pattern between tap dancing and someone said you know what you should do the patter and forget about the tap dancing. Oh, that's great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, the tap dancing, uh, don't worry it's about it. It's not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he also, I remember once uh, Michael Gordon wrote a sketch for him, did really well. And so, you know, we're like, okay, let's do the Nipsey Russell bit again. Uh, I think maybe we had him reading poetry or something that we wrote. He comes back two weeks later and he's looking through the script and he's like, it's the same damn sketch. Yeah. Yes, of course. The copy machine. Well, Nipsey, there are some changes to it. We do five shows a week, Nipsey. Right, Nipsey. I was just going to say, I think that bit you did was for the 1996 Olympics. Oh, wow. That bit with the sacrifice? No, this bit you mentioned. Running the track? Running oh, around okay. the track. Oh, yeah. I think that was like some, you know, like, oh, we can't show Olympic footage, but okay. so here's. <laughs> the one thing that's pretty memorable is that there was a manatee in it. So yeah. it, can't be, yeah. it can't have been too many sketches with manatee costumes. No. no. Although once they make it, it's easier to just keep using oh, it yeah. to get yeah. your money's worth. Well, I don't know if you remember, there was a bit that went on forever because there was so much money spent on it. Right. The wussy wagon. Right. <laughs> I mean, yes. we must have done that 10 times. You were in the wussy wagon. Yeah, I was one of the guys in the wussy okay, wagon. Okay, right, 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 right. I don't even, it just was a bright red wagon. That I don't it, think you need to explain uh, it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, first, what it was, there was a big pro wrestler, a big giant pro wrestler would pull right. this big red wagon with a bunch of guys in suits with briefcases going, and we'd just complain and whine. It was the wussy wagon. Right. And I think how the um, the red wagon came into being was because there was a toy expo that used to happen in New York. And I think as some sort of connection to the this big toy expo, you guys did a bit where you made this giant red rider wagon. 
And after you spent so much money on this ridiculous truck size wagon, it was going to be used. Right. So we 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 amortized the um the the big red red rider wagon and Yeah, that was the genesis of a lot of sketches. Those gigs were the best because you just like you kept you're like, absolutely. You were so happy that you were one of the wussies because you kept on getting the gig. Oh yeah. I Remember bits like that that we were already we were already doing a lot of times when something else would crater in rehearsal. It'd be like, uh, well, we could do the wussy wagon. So, like, <laughs> w- would you get calls at like two in the afternoon to be there by three? Or I think a lot of my calls were like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that 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 meant that things were falling apart. But I think yeah, I think a lot of times it was the same day. You know, can you come in? And yeah. Sadly, my success was such that absolutely. Absolutely. I could come in any day you called me. <laughs> well, that was part of it. Like sometimes it was the proximity to the studio. Mm. Yeah. If you were on the right subway line. Like a lot of times we'd call Abe Vigoda. Oh yeah. Abe Vigoda. I remember him. Because Abe that. lived on the Upper West Side and it's like, well, Nipsey lives in Queens. So that's going to be an extra <laughs> and the show's in an hour. So we might have to go with Abe Vigoda on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the bit trying to find... Um, I think it was Grady from Sanford and Son. Right, yes. I think <laughs> I might have been there the day that you found him and there was like a a giant Grady sign that went off with fireworks. Yes. I'm never pod. I, I these memories are all cloudy, but No, wow, we are really we were really going back. Yeah, so Grady was uh this character in Sanford and Son and Sanford and Son had been off the air for years and uh but I guess it's on in reruns obviously forever. But one of the writers, Greg Cohen, who is a really great writer, pitched like let's create this whole mystery that Grady's missing and no one knows where he is because no one's heard or seen, you know, Red Fox was still around and these other people from the show, but not this Grady guy. So it was a regular bit we did for two months. And then we finally, you know, exhausted it. Yeah. Grady, Grady, we exhausted it. Grady reached out to us or we reached out to him and we found him and flew him in and, and you were there the day came out. Oh, so you were there for the reunion. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. Because I, I, I have definitely have a memory of it, of, of this insane blowout for finding Grady. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, Ian, do you remember how you initially were cast in things? I mean, you know, how did the casting director find you? Or was it through performing? Well, you know, there got to be this real pipeline to the UCB because tons of people from UCB would get cast on Conan because Cecilia Pleva, who had been um, the casting person for the Upright Citizens Brigade TV show, the first season, came over and started doing casting at Conan. And then we had started up our school and theater since she had been working with us. And so she knew us and she would just first stop shopping was call UCB, ask the artistic director, hey, we're looking for this type of person, this type of person. So yeah, there were a lot of people who got cast because of that connection. It just got so many performers from there for pre-tapes and sketches. And then Besser and Walsh were friends of Andy's from Chicago. So when we came to town, they started being on the show right away. And I didn't really know Andy from back in Chicago. So it took a little longer for me to get on. Yeah, you and Amy started appearing early t- as well. Yeah, yeah, the all you know, all four of us would be like that's really how we made our money when we first came to New York because nobody. I think you know Amy used to waitress, but Walsh, Besser, 
and I, I was living at my parents in New Jersey at the beginning and Walsh was living on couches, I think. And then Amy and Besser had a basement apartment where, you know, the, you know, the, the basement apartments in New York, that's where all the garbage is kept. Yeah. And so oh, just no. rats swarmed outside their apartment right. in the garbage cans. And they were in a studio with a gigantic dog, uh, oh. Suki, I think was the dog's name. The dog was was huge. And they're in a studio apartment. So <laughs> and um, so you kind of had the best situation out of everybody living with your parents. Yeah, mine was pretty good. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of interesting to go back and live with your parents in your early 30s. You're like, because yeah. no matter what, you fall into these same patterns, you know, where they're treating you like the last time you were there, which for me was 17 years old. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. But no, they were, they was great. And we used to use my parents because <laughs> we were doing, you know, before we got the TV show, we were always performing somewhere in town. And my parents were the best plants in the world because it seemed impossible that anybody would know people, my parents age, you know, so you, they, no one ever thought that they were connected to us and we would stick them in the audience and use them as plants. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they, they were, <laughs> and people would just be shocked. My my dad played some agent where we got a young girl to sit with him, and he played some some super agent or super <laughs> producer one time, and everyone bought it and thought, oh my God, I can't believe they're going after this guy. <laughs> Can I tell you, my mom got to be on TV as a result of it. She got to be, the Viva Variety guys saw my mom do these plant bits on occasion, and then they got this show called Viva Variety. And they said, would your mom yeah. do a plant bit on our show? Oh, wow. So she <laughs> oh, would great. love to. And God bless them. I know they did this to make my mom's day. They sent a car out to New Jersey to pick her up. Uh, so she got oh, picked up special. in a town car. And she yeah. was just. Oh, that's great. She was, couldn't. She was like this. They have been so wonderful to me. And they picked me up in a car. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. They're so <laughs> professional. Yeah. That's great. Uh, did she alert all the neighbors about like, yeah, hey, you might you want to be outside tonight. around 3 p.m. <laughs> when this car comes and gets me? You know, my daughter, uh, as a baby, was on Conan a few times. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, did a, did a baby Rogaine bit where they squirted some water on oh, her head. Because she looked like a boy. So both times, I believe she was playing uh -huh. boys. Because uh -huh. she had uh, like the Ben Franklin fringe. Oh, you right, know, right, right. Right on top. And so, so she worked well for the bald bit. And then the other one was... Conan taking his nephew to a strip club. And so Josie was in Conan's arms and there was some stripper grinding in front of her. Oh. Yeah. But those are fun because they're on VHS tape somewhere, you know, and sure. so I've got my, oh, yeah. my little... Has she seen them now? That... At some time she did, probably not any, you know, probably saw them when she was five or something. Right. So, oh, hey, yeah. you, know, you were on TV when you were a little baby. <laughs> Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 
Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten, moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com. Ian, do you remember if you started having certain writers that would cast you in things or were there? Because it seemed like once things caught fire for you, you were you were getting a lot of calls. Well, we knew everybody because we used to um, we did an improv show, Ask Cat, and Brian McCann used to do it and Brian Stack used to do it. Oh, great. Yeah, they were both Conan writers. We knew I mean, it was all of them. They all yeah. used us, wanted us, but, you know, thought we'd be funny. It, mm-hmm. I would get cast like for intimidating roles a lot of the time. Something. Yeah, I know, noticed like, that. My, my yes. first ever speaking one was one that you guys liked it enough that you redid the bit. You didn't like the way it went the first time, apparently, and then brought me in. And it, I was supposed to be, I think, a college football player that was showing Conan how to throw a football through a tire. Right. And then I had to chase Conan around. And then that became, I think there were multiple times where I would get angry at Conan and want to beat him up. I was, well, I was used in. Um, you were a proxy for the writers. Exactly. <laughs> you can really hit them. When, when you guys were starting the TBS show, you did this blimp promotion. Right. And I was the blimp pilot. Yes. And I had this adversarial. Now, on that one, Conan gave me a hard time, was insulting me all the time in it. And, right. And um, belittling the fact that I was a pilot of a blimp. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like there's right. no, a blimp moves at you know, five miles an hour. What's the skin? Anybody could drive. And I would just be really angry at him. But um, yeah. No, those were really funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, I, when Conan, the show started, TBS is like, we're going to get you a blimp. We're going to fly it everywhere. And, you know, it's going all over the country. So they wanted these promos to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Those were really funny. You were great. Was that something that you had already kind of taken on in just improvising with UCB? Was Were you usually the authority figure? Authority figure. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily intimidating, but yeah. we would do Luna Lounge was the big uh, alternative open mic night in New York right. at the time. And it was a place called... Well, the Luna Lounge, it was called Eating It, and it was at Luna Lounge. Yeah. So our bits would need to be presentational to play well there. I think we tried maybe once doing fourth wall bits, you know, like talking to each other. We're like, oh, no, this always has to be presentational. And right. so I'd, we would often be 
I'd play this kind of straight guy who was trying to do something else, and then I'd get bothered from the audience by the other UCB members. Interrupted. Yeah, or or we'd all be on stage, but I'd be trying to do something and they would undermine what I did. And so I'd be angry and annoyed and uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I watched a sketch you did on Conan or on Late Night um, where you were, it's exactly what you're describing, but it was the four of you and Amy had colorblindness. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Besser is interrupting you because you're offending people with colorblindness and yeah and she's not she's mentally disabled and he misinterprets yeah. <laughs> her right being mentally disabled as being colorblind yes. what have to that part <laughs> and i get angrier and angrier at him because i'm like yeah yeah there's a lot more going on here than colorblindness but it was sort of you were like taking conan's role almost in it was a similar blueprint that we used to write for conan a lot where it was like mm-hmm. you were presenting it and the straight man, and then you'd get interrupted by these mm-hmm. nutty audience members. Yeah, was that a sketch that you guys had written? Yeah, or did somebody write that for you? Okay, no, that, was, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we were on a few times as us. Yeah, like as the Upright Citizens Brigade. Right. Once you had a TV show, right? Okay. On Comedy Central, I think I... we did this other one, Chef Therapy, on Conan. I think mm-hmm. uh-huh. where we were helping Amy deal with difficulties she was having at work, and then. Uh-huh. Somehow it gets in that one. She was frustrated because we're all getting too wrapped up in the specifics of being the chef and the reality of what the chef would say. And I don't know. Wait, so how long was UCB in existence in Chicago then before you guys made the move? I think about six years, I think. Wow. It's funny because we sort of uh, came on the scene and people were like, where the, how the hell these guys were there everywhere. Right. And it's like, well, we had been, you know, it seemed like it was really quick. It's like, well, yeah, with six years of background work in Chicago, you know, we just, yeah. and we just came in with a goal. We were just looking. So we just right. wanted to be. You came in with a finished product. Yeah. People yeah. could see us anytime they wanted. That's true. You know, it really is good. Adv- I mean, Chicago is a giant town, obviously, but it it is something when then you move to a, like LA or New York and, and it does kind of blow people away. They're like, who are the, you know, this, this polished group just land. Yeah. Plus there weren't a lot of improv groups in New York. Right. I think improv, that no, there was plenty of sketch. It was all stand up. Yeah. I think people wouldn't believe that there was no improv in New York city, but there what there wasn't, it was just mm-hmm. some stand up clubs and then alternate, an alternative club like Luna lounge had just started mm-hmm. like 92 or three, I think, I don't know, but well, that's something about the Conan show. It kind of some guy contacted me once, and he, so there's someone's writing a book about that time and how it was this because oh. the alt comedy scene was a big deal, and we were introducing improv, and you guys right. had this place where you're doing this banana show that's kind of like the stuff. It was alt, you know. I mean, what the hell does that mean? But you know what I mean. You right. kind of yeah. know it when you yeah. see it, or you know what everybody's yeah. talking about. Alternative comedy. Your parents aren't going to like yeah. it. <laughs> so you guys were doing alternative comedy. Mm-hmm. And then this Luna Lounge just opened mic and then us introducing improv. And it was a really fun time. And the Conan show was kind of part of that. Yeah. You know, it gave a lot of those people that were doing their own sort of uh, on stage versions of that stuff, a place to go make a little cash doing similar stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah we all knew each other. It was so funny. Like you kill time in the green room. It would just be 
everybody you saw around town right. was always hanging out, mm-hmm. you know, doing that, especially on a day like staring contest day, it would just be everyone on the old comedy scene would just be hanging out together. You know? And it's true. You mentioned this before you guys, you know, you had this improv school going and all these young improvers were going through UCB and our casting person did. It was literally like, I don't need to go anywhere just else. people. <laughs> It was like the one-stop shopping for for the Conan Show casting, and we started. Yeah, it was perfect because casting all these people. Yeah, they were exactly the right actors. Yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of helped if you were knew how to improvise a little bit because, like I said, you get called the same day, and sometimes a bunch of. Well, yes. I remember Amy doing those things. Um, Amy's little sister. Right. Yeah, Andy's little sister. Andy's yeah. little Andy's sister. Little sister. Uh, Amy's little sister. Andy's little sister. Yeah. yeah, those were great. But I mean, that'd be a lot of dialogue, and it'd be like, yeah, you know, day of. Yeah, you know, so it kind of helped if you weren't too thrown. Like, I got to memorize this exactly. Right. You know. Yeah, and it was live performing in front of an audience, and so that yeah. really did. Yes, you had to have be comfortable with that. Yeah, especially that one. Some of them, I think, we'd have cards. If we could, did we? Mm-hmm. I think yes. They, there was credit. There was a uh, credit card. There were two cards for everything. Yeah, but you couldn't with Amy's because it was back and forth. Oh. She was facing Conan, uh, Conan and Andy on stage, and she'd be in the audience, so she had to have those memorized. Right. Yeah. When we'd have a plant in the audience, there'd be cue cards, and you could always see the audience reading ahead. Yeah, they're not even watching yeah. the sketch. You're just like <laughs> reading all the lines ahead. They'd of time. laugh a little early. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it was for lack of a better word, there was a lot of synergy with Late Night and UCB. And it seems like that came out of just having similar sensibilities and, yeah, people that maybe didn't fit in other places, too. Well, and there was a big, for, for us at least, this Chicago connection, because Tommy Blotcha was yeah. from Chicago. Right. He was a writer. And McCann and... Brian McCann. And Brian Stack. And Andy. Kevin Dorff. And so, mm-hmm. you know... There was, yeah, there was definitely a big connection between us and the show. Yeah, that's true. And you pointed out something that all of you had in common, which we'd notice over and over again, like the UCB people who are so comfortable in front of a live crowd, you'd be great in rehearsal, but then during the live show, even better. Whereas some people, like we'd hire actors who didn't do improv, they'd be great in rehearsal. And then all of a sudden in front of the audience, they, they, go up on their lines, they get super nervous. Mm. You just noticed a big difference in the level of performance. Mm-hmm. I once got injured. Yes. Doing a Conan bit. Oh, I heard a rumor about this. Yeah. I remember that. I was like, Ugh. I didn't even know whether to bring it up or not, but I remember that, that day that happened. That I got sent to the most magnificent uh, plastic surgeon because it was on my face. I got a cut. Right. Like, oh my God. Like that long on my face. Like we were doing inches. something where the bit was something, everything was made of rubber. Okay. <laughs> like, so I had, uh, I can't remember if I was hitting myself with it, <laughs> but it was like, I remember for sure. I remember a big rubber pipe wrench and something about, I can't remember. Like it was a pre-tape you were shooting. A pre-tape something in the scene like, doc in a, a for like a satellite TV channel. Or I'm not sure what it was though. Something about being able to hit yourself or something with heavy objects. Anyway, there was something that I was. I, I got out of hand. I was being too crazy, and right. I slipped and I fell on an upturned like school desk, oh, and I no. hit the, the leg. Hit me and split my oh. face open. And it's so funny because talk about sucking the air out of a room, you know, <gasps> like, 
Oh. <laughs> and, oh. Uh, and you know how it is. You're an adult. It's like, right. I don't know. What am I going to do? Cry? It doesn't, you know, I don't know. It was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but they were like, oh. and because of that, somebody right away found out we're going to get this guy. And so they did, he did this thing where they, they stitch you underneath first, like, right. And then they stitch you on top. And then the guy had me put these silicone sheets on my face. So I have to stretch my skin and I can see a little white line. Oh, but, um, wow. But yeah, that was, uh, that was an exciting day. I was somewhere else and we were shooting something with Conan and he heard about it. And he, I, I think he was the one who was just like, oh my God, we've got to take Caribbean. I mean, he was so upset about it. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I went to some guy that was like the guy, right? And he, and uh, and I argued with Conan. I'm like, look, these these people are a dime <laughs> a dozen. A risk. They're interchangeable. This what guy's are you talking not about, about his looks. He plays right, intimidate. Right. You're helping him. You're giving him character. <laughs> he could use a few scars. Right. That was actually. I remember it was a Brian McCann bit because he was there for the pre-tape. Right. I remember he he wrote it. Okay. I hope he felt bad. So funny. I can't remember what it was. And I think because of that, it may have never ended up, of course, on uh, on TV. Oh, no. After all Probably. that. Probably. That sounds right. <laughs> there was blood all over the camera lens. I had heard that you had gotten sliced somehow. And so then I was watching some old sketches that you were in. And there was one where you sliced. were wheeling a guy who is... Like Captain Five Hooks, I think was the name of the character, and you okay. were his orderly. And I was like, was that was that how it happened? Because there was it was a <laughs> character that uh-huh. was like a Captain Hook, but had more hooks. And I thought that must have been it. No, that was before. <laughs> it's funny that the the weird the things that stick in your head. One that sticks in my head yeah. is me dressed up as a Nazi, right? And it was a satellite <laughs> channel, and the satellite channel was about stacking things neatly. Right. Yes. And then I would go and I think like put a level on. Julie them. Brister was in that one. Yeah. yeah. That was my that was my bit. Yeah. It was called Stock and Blocking. Stock. Yes. And um. Yeah. <laughs> it actually originally it wasn't a satellite TV channel. It was a bit called Foreign TV Imports. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I had like that bit, and I had a, a new reality show from Ireland called Out Drink the Robot. But Stock and Blocking. Yes, I thought of you immediately. It would be. It was a game show where you had to stack things at right angles. Yeah, and I would just scream at nine. Right. Nothing stuck and block on whatever. <laughs> right, right. Scream at the person. And then you just start beating her. Yeah. Right. And then <laughs> a German shepherd runs into the shot at the end, and people are always like, oh my God, that, you know, that German shepherd at the end, that was incredible. And that was a total accident. Oh. Because we're shooting something else in the studio after we shot, like we had five minutes to shoot that. Uh-huh. And, um, there, this dog was in the studio for this next bit, and it just broke free. It got excited. Some, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. A, a German man yelling at a woman, yes, and it yes. ran. It just ran into the <laughs> shot on its own, and we're like, "Oh my god!" Like that's an example of instinct. A happy accident that makes something yeah. a lot better. I remember playing um, skinheads with someone else this is uh, i'm going through everything where i played a racist i guess yeah but uh, <laughs> right 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 because we did a beat down it was tommy blotcha was in that one with me and i can't remember who there were three of us and then we we kicked somebody and the, yeah I'll, I'll tell you one bit that's that's part of my f- my family you know you have these things that you say all the time right and right. so one i was a sniper it was behind the scenes sometimes we have a comedian on and their bit doesn't go 
and we have to be prepared for this. And so I was a sniper and Brian McCann <laughs> was playing a standup that was doing his bit. Right. And he was doing terrible standup. And I, his terrible standup made me laugh so hard. And he had a Bill Clinton joke. He goes, I love French fries. So I'm not too happy about this Bill Clinton because he's just about the biggest French fry eater in the world. And then sort of my family, we, for some reason, will say, just about the biggest French fry eater in the world. But that, that just really tickled that's me. Great. You know, sometimes you just, it just, it was the best awful standup up and that's always stuck in my mind is a guy who <laughs> yeah. thinks that who think who would think that was comedy yeah i'm not too happy about this bill clinton being president the writers pitched a lot of bad stand-up and conan mm -hmm. was like no it's mm -hmm. his argument was it's just bad and we were like no <laughs> come on i know well that's a real go-to right i understand mm -hmm. the general thing of being against it but right. it can work. Mm -hmm. It's just like everything. Yes. It's like someone saying, you know, no one likes a period comedy until they right. do. like Blazing Saddles, like <laughs> right, right, Young right, Frankenstein. Right, right. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, yeah, they can be really shitty and they have been. But mm -hmm. but yeah, like because uh, I know we, we'd often turn down bits about failure comedy. Right. Like failure the joke comedy. is doing comedy. It's like, mm -hmm. especially if it's like, a you know, it's a comedy. I mean, not like I'm on stage shows and people would want to have their bit, bit like doing a failed comedy act. It's like. I think I need to be sure you can do a real comedy act before I can enjoy <laughs> right, right, you right, right. fail it. You know, it's like, yeah, uh -huh. that's kind of easy. Oh, you know, there was another one. Um, you were in a cold open for the 10th anniversary show of Late Night where you're you're just sitting there reading a newspaper and Conan's like, hey, it's my 10th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. And then he starts picking up people, but you were there the whole time. So you had to be there for every shot because you're running through yeah. all of New York. Yeah. I have a funny, a funny story related to that. So we were filming all over New York and it was cold. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, you know how it is run and gun. And but so they said, here, we're gonna just we talked to this guy in this coffee shop. You can go stay in there to keep warm. So I sat there. And then this guy was staring at me and I thought, that's weird. What's this guy staring at me? So I thought, well, I'm going to stare back at him. <laughs> and then the guy came up and stood next to me and I'm like, and finally I left. And then someone, I said, this is, and I told the story and someone said, dude, you were in Chelsea. You got cruised and your way of oh. dealing with cruise was to eye lock the guy. <laughs> so, and then I was I was annoyed, like, now why is he standing next to me? What is going? Why is this guy being strange? And then someone said, Why am I going you, home with him? What is wrong with? So that guy probably thought with me, what is it gonna take for this guy yeah. to pull the right, trigger? Right. But it was so funny as I told the story indignant, and someone's like, You idiot. What that was because to me it's like I figured this guy got caught being weird and staring at me. So I'm gonna stare back until he looks away. <laughs> And then the guy never looks away. So I go, okay, you win, weirdo. <laughs> and then he comes and stands at my shoulder. Oh. Uh, yeah. A misconnection. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> Listen, we all have regrets. <laughs> but I was so funny because I was just treated like I was an absolute idiot. You yeah. idiot. I remember that, that day. Oh, and then I think we had to go back another day to shoot. Because we'd have like a hundred 
couple hundred people following you and mm. Conan mm-hmm. running up Sixth Avenue. Yeah, you shut down a whole street. I think Mr. T had something to do with that. Uh, David Lee Roth, oh. I think, right? I think you <laughs> yeah. you go, hey, look, okay, it's David Lee Roth. And then well, maybe it was at an after party for the 10th anniversary because. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There was definitely, Mr. T was there. And I was so surprised because I grew up. Yeah. Mr. T, you know, first yeah. of all, oh, my God, in Rocky and, you know, and then on the A-team. Yeah. And Mr. T at that point was a super people pleaser and like right. looking to make connections. Yeah. And he came over. Like I was the president of Universal Studio. And <laughs> how do you do, Mr. T? A pleasure to meet you. And I was like, Oh, why are you so? And he was like so accommodating and so. So I think he was just yeah. said there might be someone here who's got work. And it was yeah. so <laughs> fun to have Mr. T so interested in talking to me. Hi, I'm Mr. T. Yeah, I, you, it was given away by your nine million necclaces and the fact that you're Mr. T. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, there's no need to introduce yourself. No introduction, yourself. yeah. yeah. But it was, and it was interesting. And then I thought, and I was kind of like, I don't remember if I was flattered or confused. And then I noticed he did it to person after person. And I was like, Mr. T's working the room. He's working the room. Networking. How did it get to where Mr. T has to work the room? (laughs) Yeah. We'd have him on, you know, to do little cameos and stuff. And the whole, I've never seen anybody light up the entire sixth floor hallway like Mr. T. He just Mm -hmm. would come in and start talking to everyone and and joking around and by the time he left everyone was in a state of euphoria yeah for like 10 minutes <laughs> well it's things like that that are your the best hollywood things you know you mm-hmm. meet because it's, right it's this guy as a kid that meant so much that you never would have thought you were going to meet him right my best meeting in all of hollywood and this is, it is a big deal but yeah i got to pitch i was working on a a pitch with stan lee Stan Lee did everything I loved more than anything in my Mm -hmm. life as a kid. And the first day I ever met him, I didn't even care. I'm supposed to work with him. I've got the history of Marvel comics. I said, I said, it's an honor to meet you. Will you sign? It was an honor. And he's such a nice guy. I already love this kid. Uh And I'm like, I'm working with, I'm showing up day after day and hanging out with Stan Lee. This is insane. And he was a nice guy. So, oh, that's great. You know, it's like it could, it was, but you know, and I've been with all kinds of stars, but you, they creep up on you. And if they're of your ear, it's like, okay. But right. the guy that was a mythical figure as a kid is the one that'll, that blows your mind. You know? It's yeah. Like, yes. Yes. You want to go back and them. tell your kid self, like, you're going to meet that guy someday. Yes. Your life's going to be awesome. Right. 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 <laughs> it, was, it was, it was a dream come true. I still think about yeah. how much fun. And he actually liked, because we were going to pitch a comedy superhero movie. Oh. And he oh. liked my characters. And one he liked oh. was, and it, and I think there was no coincidence, you know, Stan Lee's an old man. And I had a character where the way we did it was it enhanced everyone's natural qualities. They got, this gas got released on a, on a train and all the people in this train <laughs> compartment. Anyway, so it was an old guy and he was based yeah. on my wife's grandfather who was, you know, was it a tail gunner in World War II, survived that, got his leg chopped off by a combine and was found like almost bled out and survived that. One time uh, there was a fire in a shed he's working in and he had a bucket of gasoline that he cleaned like oily tools in. And 
the fire started. He said, son of a bitch, and kicked the, bo- the, the bucket of gasoline and set the place on fire. It came uh, out of the place uh, on fire. So, uh, and, oh and, and, and he was a drinker. And so what the concept was, these old guys that have no right to be alive, but they're just... Yeah. They've never thought about their health. They eat horribly. They're alcoholics. Mm -hmm. They're dangerous. Right. And so anyway, there was an old guy and he became invulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he said, I like that. That's a, oh, that's a good one. Like, and I mean, so have Stan Lee tell me he loves a superhero I've come up with. He goes, that's a a good one. An old guy. I like that one. And I was like, okay, it doesn't get any better than that. You're ready to quit. Yeah. Well, I was wondering... Well, no, we often ask our guests, because a lot of our listeners are maybe aspiring comedy writers or, you know, kind of want to do what you've gotten to do. Do you have a piece of advice, anything that maybe helped you out early on? Yeah, just I would say um, nowadays it would be it's probably all about, you know, uh, computer stuff like but just be doing something. Don't wait for someone. Don't try to join the winning team. Start Mm -hmm. a team, you know, and uh, that's the biggest problem I saw with people and that's what we did we just always did our own thing it's it's sort of like a what's that and feel the dreams you know build it and they will come you just got to do it and if you're doing good stuff weirdly something happens so just don't even think about how you're going to get ahead right and when you're young just do exactly what you want to be doing and just have fun and just constantly be doing it because you need to get better and some people are like well i gotta wait till someone lets me do it right and uh, right they wait for the offer yeah, yeah. Or they, <laughs> i can't believe I, I get to talk like this we didn't have the youtube and, uh, <laughs> right, right, right. and the, but you know i mean that's probably <laughs> what it is now in my day it was all about you know just be on stage always be trying to do something mm-hmm. you know and uh, i would see people that they were just auditioning you know and it's like well I'll go ahead and audition but it's not going to make you better. Wait till someone gives you a chance to do something. Yeah. And you'll find like-minded people. Yeah. Too, which really, that really helps. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. It's like get into, because I was in Improv Olympic and that's where I met all the guys that I started the Upright Citizens Brigade with. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you can get into a place where all these young people are studying, right. well, then you meet all the people you're going to come up with. Mm-hmm. And some of you are going to become directors and some of you are going to become writers and some of you are going to be actors. Right. And you make all those, you know, very naturally. Naturally. I guess you're networking. You're not thinking you're networking, yeah. but it's like, you, right. these are the guys that you're going to work with through your whole life. And it's uh, it's great to join an organization like that if you can, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. That was UCB for me. Yeah. You don't think that at the time you're no. just making friends. Mm-hmm. It's only kind of in hindsight. You're like, oh, we all kind of. Oh, you look around came and everyone's together. doing well. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I look back at Chicago and there is no such thing, but it was like we were all getting our PhDs in comedy mm-hmm. because, right. you know, every day you were there, you were filming something or you mm-hmm. were rehearsing improv or you're rehearsing sketch or you're performing sketch or you're performing improv or you're hanging out with those guys and you're just doing bits together, you yeah. know, when you're not. And so it was just, and all we did was work the minimum amount we had to, to keep our crappy, you know, I had a $315 studio apartment. Right. So I'd wow. substitute teach once, twice a week. And that would be enough money. And then every other hour of my day was spent doing comedy. And then I was coming up with Adam McKay, Horatio Sands, right. Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, Amy Poehler. Yeah. Oh my God. 
who knew I was with this who's who yeah. of comedy, Neil Flynn. So many famous people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Ian, thank you so much yeah. for your time and all yeah, the great thanks. stories. Yeah, thanks, Ian. It was great catching up. It was a pleasure to do this because that was, you know, hanging out, doing stuff on Conan was so much fun. Thank you, Ian Roberts. Thanks, Ian, for dropping by virtually. He's a good improviser, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's had some practice. Who knew? And hey, if you like the show, you can support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review. Mm -hmm. And give us 50 stars. <laughs> if they only allow five, you need to write to them and demand yeah. 50. <laughs> demand more stars. Yeah. I want to make this really difficult for the listeners. <laughs> ah, then they made us write emails. Yes, thank you. Five is plenty. And also, uh, we would love to have, we love listener questions. We've been getting some great ones. We have, I know. Yeah. And they give us something to do. Yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> Instead of facing our own sad lives. <laughs> Mortality, yeah. Uh, please submit your listener questions. You can leave a voicemail. Uh, which we always love hearing your beautiful voice at 323-209-5303. Or you can email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. And we have a, a special treat today. We're joined right now by Matthew Chauncey, a great writer and the creator of Team Coco's new scripted audio series, self-center hello welcome matthew hello thank you for having me sure this is my, this is my first podcast breaking news Wait, so what? everything i know about podcasts i know from uh, yes so that's amazing who's had you locked up this is a team coco exclusive wow uh, <laughs> very exciting so i'm assuming this is going to be just like Che Diaz's podcast, I'm just like that. So I'm hoping exactly. <laughs> yes, we're going to take some calls, live calls, uh -huh. even though it's pre-recorded. <laughs> Do you have a woke moment button? Because I'm like prepared to engage with it. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah, well, I want to hear about, um, I'm so fascinated by this scripted podcast that you wrote. It's called Self Center, and it has a ton of amazing yeah. celebrities voicing it. Totally. You got Kim Cattrall, speaking Kim of... Kim Cattrall, I know, speaking of it just like that. She couldn't do it because she was busy doing your podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really fun show. It's a horror comedy, kind of in the vein of Death Becomes Her, if you remember that movie, one of my I love that favorites. Movie. Yeah. And it's about a exhausted wife and mother, played by Judy Greer, who on the eve of her 40th birthday, uh, her mother dies and kind of the combination of her mom dying and middle age looming. She kind of goes into a bit of a spiral, a uh, crisis of mortality and this online wellness brand called Self Center just sort of magically appears to kind of pump her up and... Mm -hmm give her all the things she needs to kind of feel good about herself. And she ends up snagging an invite to a weekend wellness retreat at the founder's house. Mm -hmm. uh, and when she gets there, things get a little odd and she starts to realize that maybe the natural beauty and wellness they are selling is more supernatural in origin. So that's kind of the premise. Ooh. And Kim Cattrall is our uh, girl boss, which is totally delicious and fun. That sounds great. That's awesome. Yeah, I love this exploring the darker side of the kind of self-care industry. 
The darker, darker side. The darker, darker side, yeah. Well, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I'm sort of someone who has a love-hate relationship with all of that stuff. You know, I, I kind right. of, I love Goop. I love Quentin Paltrow. And right. but I'm sort of like, a, you know, a simp for all of the products and stuff that right. they put out. But I like to think that I'm like, should be too smart to like buy into all the <laughs> things they're selling, but I'm right. just not. And so the show is sort of a... There's something so funny about that contradiction and also kind of horrifying. And the show is just sort of a way to put all those anxieties on its feet and... Yeah, take control again. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, and I think all the time about how much I'm just an algorithm. Like, you, we all oh, like to yeah. think that we're very special. And then you go on your Instagram and what what's being advertised to you is is just so perfect that it's like, oh, no, they, they have my number. <laughs> totally. Yeah. All I do is get fatty liver notices. <laughs> so it's it's not... I, I'd uh, kill for some goop uh, come-ons. Yeah. I have been getting a lot more male Spanx-type alerts. Oh, seriously? I think it, it's clearly linked to my Postmates account also, because they're like, I think you're going to... Elastic waist pants. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing about podcasts is we're all sitting. That's, yes. No one has no to one see can anything. see our lower yes. halves. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, I was wondering, how did you decide to make this a scripted podcast? Because you know, when you're thinking of what to write, like what, how did that become the thing you wanted to write next? Yeah, the I mean, the idea came. I was actually in Ohio, where the show is set on a little bit of like a wellness weekend of oh. my own. Oh. And, and were you like, how do I write this off? Uh, yes, totally. <laughs> okay, can you describe Ohio very quickly for our listeners? Ohio is like you know fifty minutes north of Los Angeles, and it's like a very pretty valley, sort of wine country esque community. Right. And I was at like a really pretty Spanish revival house, and it's like so beautiful and quiet there and like the quiet is kind of beautiful but also a little eerie especially at night and there were these like crazy orange groves that we were walking through and i was like oh this would be like a good place for a chase and that was sort of like the first (laughs) turn (laughs) chase through an orange grove (laughs) yeah i know i know which spoiler alert that happens in the finale and uh And yeah, a friend of mine, Adam Sachs, who works for Team Coco, I just sort of explained the idea to him. And he was like, oh, you know, we're trying to do scripted podcasts. That sounds like a good idea for it. And I think there's something really special about the intimacy of a podcast. You know, you have the people in your ears, you're kind of talking to them. And so since Self-Center is so much about, you know, the inner turmoil that's going through our heads as we're on these wellness journeys. It felt like being able to do that in audio form and really be with Judy Greer, who plays that character as she's sort of like living the journey, but also self-analyzing the journey felt like the perfect audio premise. Yeah, because it must be a little hard to write for audio only versus writing when you know they're going to be visuals. It was a, yeah. yeah, I had never done it before. So it was scary, right. but it ended up being, but again, we had like the voiceover with Judy, which was great. And then kind of the premise of the show is she gets self-center has these Fitbit style wristless called an embrace that uh, Enid Hargrove, the CEO of the company kind of talks to the clients through. So we have oh. Kim Cattrall kind of being the little voice in Judy's ear. Um, so it ended up like, really working. And it's really not as different as I 
thought it might be, right. which was scary too, because there's like a lot of action and, you know, yeah. Yeah. horror elements, but it worked really great, I think. Yeah, that, that I imagine in some ways it's kind of uh, liberating to like, oh, you know, we can make all this supernatural stuff go with sound. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the budget, budget. and like right, CGI right, right. and stuff. Yeah. I was like, zombies, let's have an army of <laughs> like 20 of them. It's fine. Yeah, that was very liberating in that regard. And you just get some spooky sound effects and... Yeah, so some very easy. This was right. so terribly easy. Yes. easy. <laughs> you should have made all your actors do all the sound effects too. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Well, Judy Greer is amazing. I mean, your whole cast is amazing. I'm, I'm really curious... Did you, were you able to get them together so that, or, or. Well, we recorded it during the pandemic, so no one was physically Physically, together, but we did kind of like we're doing now, Judy and Kim would record at the same time. So they were able to play off each other, even though they were technically 3000 miles apart. So we did that with uh, her. We also did that with Judy and uh, a partner on Sherla, who's really Mm -hmm. great. They're kind of uh, partners in crime in the show. Mm -hmm. And so. That was something I didn't expect to do because I've worked in a lot of animated television where that's so not a part of it at all. Like people are just in a booth alone recording with basically no context. So it was really Mm -hmm. fun to get to watch them uh, spar with one another. And I think it really paid off. I I didn't know. I I just assumed even in animation, they would try to get people in scenes together just so they can get the reality of it. But that's not the case, right? They I think especially now because everyone does like a million things at once it's so rare i've never experienced that uh, so it was yeah, really fun a lot fun. of people have their own like set vo booth at home right yes especially now yeah in yeah the current era it's the same way with music i have a cousin who does music sessions and he said that they all used to be in person and now like he records a bass line i know at his oh, house and so sends it in Oh no! Isn't that, yeah, yeah, like all the movie scores you've heard in the past two years are like one orchestra member alone in their house, and they oh, just build it. Right. It's like like conducting that and stuff is wild. Wow. wow. Yeah. So no more like. I mean, we're never going to have the that footage of the Beatles recording, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess also because the Beatles are no, not together. A, yeah. No, they're just yeah. together. Yeah, that's the first impediment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, well, Matthew, we have a couple of, so we usually do fan questions at the end of our podcast and we have a fan question that maybe you can help us answer. Okay, great. They're usually about, you know, show business. And, uh, this one says at the end of every episode, you ask guests if they have advice for those interested in entering show business on the flip side, what would you recommend people not do? Hmm. That's Hmm. from Cameron. Well, my personal path is when I moved out here, I got a job as a writer's assistant. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of my way in. The first job specifically was working for a TV showrunner, which I think really is a great entry point in that, especially from that showrunner desk, you get to see every level of production. You get to see every script that comes in. You get to see what the showrunner does to the script. And you really understand kind of how to mount a production and how to run it yourself, which is great. I think on the flip side of that, though, is you can really get trapped in those jobs. And I certainly did for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, And you can kind of burn yourself out because it's, you know, working so many hours for very little money, year in and year out. And so I think think you kind of always you can't rely on that job to actually 
graduate you into anything. And I right. think you kind of just have to have that side hustle in some way, shape, or form. And I would very much encourage, like, before you make the leap, having material that you feel, like, good about to kind of, if you could produce it on your own, you would. Because mm-hmm. it's just, it's really hard to balance all that when you're working Oh yeah, 14 hours a day. But like you said, you can get so easily swept up in someone else's dream and helping them realize, you know, their visions and then not know when it's time for you to go off and, and do your own thing. Yeah. So I was so like my bosses were always working, but like they would always have, you're sort of tied to their fate mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. that is uh, not very empowering where it's like <laughs> if they, you know, so when their shows get canceled the or their pilots don't get picked up, like, yeah. you know, you're, you've are you lost a year of career progression. So right, it's just so hard to know because um, the business is very, you know, you can't be too risk averse because everything is so up and down and things can seem like they're a sure thing and then they fall apart. Totally. Um, but it is, I think it's a good, what you've brought up is a good point um, that you can't get too comfortable anywhere either because you do have to often take risks to have big payoff. And so having that balance of like, have I, you know, do I have now the tools? Like I've made some connections at my assistant job and I have some samples and I'm ready to go off on my own and then not end up staying somewhere for too long in a comfort zone because you have to push out of that comfort zone to... Totally. To have big payoffs. That's why I'm qu- I'm quitting this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have gotten way too comfortable. <laughs> yes. You look like you're leaning back a little too I'm, far. I'm, pretty, I'm a little too relaxed. I am. <sighs> He's completely horizontal right now. <laughs> I'm so mellow. This is all great advice. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Matthew, are there... Or Matt. I don't know why I called you Matthew. That's fine. Um, the whole like Matthew, Matt, Matt thing is there's just so many of us it's the most basic name <laughs> for is. someone of like a geriatric a millennial like myself generation. so yeah. i basically if there are multiple mats i become matthew and if there's uh-huh. right. so it's really room specific there are no other ones yeah. in this room so whatever <laughs> whatever works for you that's versatility <laughs> that's me are there any other things you're working on right now or um you know what what is keeping you creatively afloat at the moment yeah, so I'm working, um, I've been working for the past couple of years on this uh, Marvel show for Disney Plus called What If, which is a Ooh. anthology series where every episode they kind of take an event from the Marvel movies and say, what if, you know, this played out differently? How would that change the characters' lives? How would it change, you know, the Marvel universe as a whole? So it's kind of a fun Marvel version of the Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. So cool. I've been on it. We're in a... Kind of multiple seasons, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now, which yeah. is super fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And you have a, a popular Instagram account as well. Oh, I don't know how popular it is. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be. This is like going back to my uh, former Goop acolyte days. Right. But I used to back when I was really on my Goop game, and you know, worked out <laughs> a lot and did all the products. Like I was in a lot better shape than I am in now. And so I think when I was looking for the validation from the goop stuff and uh, the world, I did a lot of shirtless selfies. But the content, (laughs) (laughs) as my body has expanded and I'm getting those Spanx push ads, it's more like Uh. dogs and plates of food. And so every, every week, the you know, the popularity of the Instagram account 
you know, starts to dwindle. <laughs> but those are on there forever, the shirtless photos. Yeah, so, so just scroll, just everyone listening, yeah. scroll down. I used to be like... <laughs> Much better looking. Well, you look fantastic, and I would. <laughs> you do. I would double down on the shirt. I would do go for the shirtless ones now, or like body positivity, which is very. You know, I'm trying to embrace. Like I embrace pos- body positivity as a movement, but I have not yet internalized it for myself. So right, maybe that right. It's good for other people. Right, of course. From, I just keep hating myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so comfortable in that. I've been doing it for you know thirty right, some right. years. I don't want to. Sh- yeah. Shake What's that up. up now? I wouldn't worry it's worked out. too much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I made a show about it, so like you know, yeah, let's exactly, right. Also, you're in an incredibly powerful position. You could power broke Kim Cattrall going whether or not she can go back on. Yeah, no kidding. And just like that, <laughs> and just like that, you know? that would be an interesting conversation to have. <laughs> Depends on whether there's a season two of Self Center. Yes, that that is going to be her deciding <laughs> factor. I am, yeah. I am certain. um so it's is it out now people can listen to it now yes you can uh stream it on audible right now all eight episodes cool all right check out self-center and thank you so much thank you so much thanks for chatting with us matt i hope how was your first podcast experience it was good you know you always remember your first usually for being kind of bumpy and awkward a little messy. and not knowing what to do. So I think you guys are very helpful. You definitely... Nobody climaxed. Yeah. <laughs> but you had like a good like top energy and guided me through it. So thank you so much for... Oh, that's uh, very kind. Because sure. I don't think either of us are. That will be in the... Co- that's like the review. Like major major top energy Comforting on Inside tops, Conan. yes. Uh, Cuddly tops. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Just one more thing. Go ahead. We love you. Oh, and that we love you is coming from the future. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat, it's the Conan Show. Try on some spats, you're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf, it's Conan! This has been a Team Coco production. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com.